0: Yes, it's very helpful to get suggestions and information, but sponsors are those individuals that are in the room that are speaking for you when you aren't there, when you don't know you need someone to be advocating for you. But I think it's really critical that people know mentorship is often given, sponsorship is earned.
1: Welcome to the Confident Podcast with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. Season five brings us more conversations with fierce female leaders. We'll be tackling a range of career readiness and leadership topics, ranging from defining your career purpose to leveraging your superpowers, and exploring key questions like, is it okay to cry in the boardroom?
2: Episode one, how do we fix the broken rung?
1: Welcome, welcome, everyone. Hey, Liv.
2: Hey. (laughs)
1: How are you doing this bright, sunny day?
2: It is early.
1: (laughs) Early college time, that is. Well, I thought today in the intro, since we're kicking off season five with a new theme, No Crying in the Boardroom, we should start by, I think, you know, explaining why we chose that title.
2: Yeah, we should. I know you have some strong opinions on this, so you want to go first?
1: (laughs) We've had some (laughs) offline conversation, and really, it started... Um, innocently me asking you what you thought um, because I was reflecting back upon one of my own early early career experiences when after a what I'd call kindly a public dressing down by a manager I cried (laughs) in the conference room and afterward my manager took me aside and basically said hey there's no crying at work and I took that as just point fact um and just kind of really shut down all of my emotions at work going forward but in recent years I've really rethought this advice um in similar gender tropes and want to examine and revisit them especially live as you're now a college sophomore poised to to launch into the workforce and and I just I I feel the need to revisit them so I guess my first question to our audience would be imagine someone crying in the office the question is, is the person you imagine a woman?
2: The answer is probably yes, right? Like, let's be honest. And I think I I think I I struggle with this question, honestly, because where we're at, like right now in our society, I I I think that emotions are seen, displaying emotions at work, it's seen as a weakness, right? and why it's because women are seen as emotional, you know, and that emotion is tied to not being like a strong leader and i think that's that's totally bs. i think that something that makes women such powerful and unique leaders and necessary leaders is that we, are, we usually have a grasp on our emotions and we are much more emotionally mature than many of the men and yes, that's a broad generalization, but I mean women leaders are known for being more empathetic and I think that is a power that's a strength. So if you say oh there's no crying in the boardroom the implication of that shuts down all emotions at work right? Like you said you you took out of the fact and crying is you know it's associated with the rest of the emotions. So I have a tough time because yes you shouldn't go to your boardroom and start crying in the middle of a meeting. But that doesn't mean that emotions should be completely shut off at work, or that emotions are a weakness. Because I think that they can be our greatest strength.
1: Wow, I really appreciate your gentle <laughs> perspective on that, and that is so well said. And I also think it's important to acknowledge that it's it's you know socialization, right? So men, yeah. boys are socialized to suppress crying, exactly. But men. And men tend to express in the workplace more powerful and hostile emotions such as anger, I mean how often Mm -hmm. in my corporate career, it was a frequent experience to hear men yelling in the boardroom or pounding the table. Um, Somehow that's okay, but on the other hand, women tend to express more vulnerable emotions, um, such as crying when they're hurt and that's not okay, so I, I think I mean. The, your brilliant perspective. And I do think we need to rethink this. I guess the one thing I would say for the young women out there that I coach and mentor is to, to really, though, be aware of um, how it's going to be perceived, right? So really being um, clear on if you cry at work, paying attention to the context and the emotions of the ob- observers around you is, is important, right? So um and if it's uncontrollable crying, probably excuse yourself. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, that'd be probably a good call.
1: But so I mean, any any advice to to your Gen Zers in terms of?
2: Oh God, you're asking me. I'm the Gen Zer. You should be giving me advice. I don't know. You're you've been in the workforce. How do we stop crying? Like
1: the you Gen Zers, you're the cycle breakers. You're the ones that are challenging and rethinking. And that really is gonna be the theme of our our season five on Confident is challenging some of these gender tropes. So um, I, I I love hearing your advice, but I guess on this one, I would just summarize by saying, to remember that men and women feel the same things at work, they just express them in different ways, um, and just to be sure. mindful. And let's let's keep thinking through this one. And I'd love to hear from our lister, listeners about other gender tropes um, that they'd want us to tackle on a future episode. And with that I guess let's get into today's interview we've got a great guest here today and uh, uh, i'm really excited about this one. confident in
2: 321. Dr Gail Ayala Taylor is a professor at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth and the founder of rise career launch. Dr. Taylor is a career readiness expert on a mission to build the pipeline of tomorrow's diverse business leaders by giving talented individuals from underrepresented groups the tools and strategies to launch and accelerate their careers. Welcome to Confident, Dr. Taylor.
0: Well, thank you so much, Olivia and Sherry. I am absolutely thrilled to be here. Uh, Just excited for our time together today.
1: And and Gail, I'm so excited. We have so much in common, including our Michigan State Spartan heritage. And in fact, I have a little <laughs> special surprise for you this She's morning. I'm so
2: excited about this.
1: Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, Gail, it's so, Great. it's so exciting to interview a fellow Spartan alumni. And I have to say, I have to thank and give a shout out to Michigan State professor, Dr. Helen Dashney, for introducing us. And I have to say, you may be the most spirited Spartan fan other than my mother. <laughs> We've been emailing back and forth now for a while. And every time, Olivia, she ends her email with like, go green or go right. And of course,
2: <laughs> I, I love that. Next
1: email, responding to that. So it's been a great connection, Gail. We're so thrilled to have you on Confident.
0: Absolutely. And, and, and go green. And I am just so just... Absolutely proud of you, Sherry, and how you represent Spartan Nation with all the wonderful things you're doing
2: as well.
1: Thank you. Well, let's jump into this interview. There's so much to talk about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Jumping right into it, tell us something Google doesn't know about you.
0: Olivia, I love, love, love this question. Me too. Um, And I was going back and forth because I think there's a lot that Google doesn't know about me. But I think one thing that is pretty interesting um, is the fact that I once was a money launderer.
1: Woo, headline news, (laughs) great
0: news. (laughs) In my very first job out of college, I had the pleasure of working for the Western St. Francis Hotel. And I worked in a rotational management training program and one of my rotations was in this little room in the back office um and there was this machine and and everyone was so excited at the hotel that i was going to be able to spend time in this room with this machine and this and, and the people who worked there long story short in the old days women who came to the hotel wore white gloves and the the hotel they were so customer focused that they did not want to soil the gloves of women by putting dirty coins in their hand when they gave change. So it was a daily practice. I hope it is still a practice to this day where all of the coins would be washed every day in the hotel so that when they were given to women there, they would not soil their gloves. And so that is my claim to fame as the money (laughs) launderer uh, and, and, uh, Proud former employee of the Western St. Francis Hotel. It was a wonderful place to start my career and part of what uh, sparked my interest in early career development as well.
1: Okay, that's a hilarious story. story. Although I do not recommend that you add money launderer to your, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that is such a great story. And then with your, and that was also neat to learn that that's what sparked your interest in. In, in youth career development and kind of talk about that path. So you went from the great Michigan State down to Florida to get your doctorate and then on to Dartmouth. Kind of talk about that career progression and what was the moment that sparked you to found RISE?
0: Wow. Can we have here two hours here for that yeah. answer? <laughs> um, so let me just kind of fast forward because I love, I love the, the founding story for RISE. Um, I've I've been on the faculty at uh, University of Georgia, at Northwestern, another great Big Ten school, and at uh, Dartmouth. And when I came to Dartmouth, I've always had a passion, Olivia, for undergraduates and, <laughs> and um, just helping young people see the spark and think about what careers could be in front of them uh, by by being business school majors and. Uh, I was working in a program that gave me access to undergraduates from all across the U.S. So it was Tuck's business bridge program in which we work with students who were liberal arts majors who didn't come in. Uh, were going into the work world without a business undergraduate. So at Tuck, we would give a, a basic foundation of entry level skills across accounting, marketing, finance you know, the gamut to help liberal arts majors have the language of business and a better understanding. And with one of my my esteemed colleagues, Bob Hanson, and our team, we launched a program, a version of this program at Smith College. And so we took our team from, from Dartmouth to Smith. It was one of, it honestly is one of the mo- things that I'm most proud of in my career is to, to be able to create this program and deliver it in partnership with a colleague that I respect to a room full of women well after the and we delivered uh of course the, the program on campus and after teaching in that program i had several women reach out to me and say professor taylor i've secured this wonderful job at this bank you know really big prominent global banks and they said you know what do i need to do to be successful in this job and i said uh you know, I'm the marketing professor, I'm not the finance professor, but any time any of my students would ever reach out for help, I was gonna find out a way to help them. So what I did is I rented out a bed and breakfast in Boston and ended up initially being uh, the, the six women who were going into banking. I had six other women who were my recent students who had kept in touch with me, also starting their first jobs after graduating And I invited them to the bed and breakfast. I said, if you can get here, I will make sure you have what you need to get off to the best start possible in your career. And I had friends and um, just amazing professionals that I know come from California, from Texas, from Michigan, from New York, to come and join us at different points in time during this weekend to really give these young women the tools, tips, strategies, and knowledge and information that they needed to hit the ground running. And basically it started out as just, you know, me really having a genuine care and concern for my students and wanting to help them. And it eventually evolved into uh, repeating it a a, a following year and then having someone say, I think my company can benefit from this. There's so many women at our company uh, in investment banking that really could use this information. And it went from being my family's personal philanthropy to then being a, a social impact venture in which co- we work with companies to help their entry-level women and, uh, and we're expanding to Black men get the, the information they need to be, get off to the best start possible in their careers.
1: That's an incredible founding story. Yeah. And it's very similar to ours, Olivia. And it's just, it's all about identifying a need and then solving for the need, right? And in this Absolutely. case- in this case at LiveGirl, we also um, are in that space with college students teaching career readiness and providing access um, to internships and internship equity because there is a need. And that need is that we know that women, especially women of color, face unique challenges in the workplace. There's there's a glaring gender disparity at the very first rung of the corporate ladder. I was just looking up the data. While women account for 48% of entry-level hires, it, they account for only. Thirty-eight percent of first-level managers. So it's like that broken rung, and I know that's where Rise is now focusing. So can you just talk a little bit about what you're seeing? Why are so many women stumbling on this first step, and and um, what we need to know about that?
0: Yeah. So, so Sherry, I think of us as a tag team. So you <laughs> and Live Girl, you all do a fantastic job of working with young women and and all the way up through college and really helping them get those great jobs to start their career and and have the skills they need to be successful. And then I feel like we tag team and I take it from there. So once they have the job, what do they need to do to be able to get off to the best start possible? And as I think about why we're seeing that disparity from entry level to to that first managerial role, and let's be clear, we must get them to that first managerial role because if we don't get them there, we're not gonna get them to the C-suite. So that that is such a critical step. And so why are we seeing the the drop-off? And I I feel like there are two things we need to talk about. One is organizations. I think there are things that organizations need to do to be able to help facilitate early career success, particularly in industries and companies, uh, uh, areas where there might not be a lot of women already there. And there might not be a lot of, role models and people that can kind of show um, uh, what I can do. I can accomplish that because I see you've accomplished that. And so I think there there are things that need to happen on the organizational side to to make the plan possible, to help people see the progression, and then to be transparent about what it takes to move along and then give the resources and the tools to help people move along that way. I think the other side is, it. Um, it has to do with things that for, for the, the people who are starting their jobs, And again, this is in no way blaming the victim. But I think if you don't know what you don't know, you just don't know it. And so I feel like like we have to help women in particular as they're starting their job, know that they belong, know that they're capable, and know that they need to have ownership of their career. No one else cares more about your career than you do. And so we have to give young women the tools and the power to be able to think about what's next for them. Um, I'm really adamant with the women that we work with in RISE is, you know, you have to grow where you're planted. Mm-hmm. So I don't I'm not saying you get that first job and you're now planning to be, you know, in three months, you're going to be the CEO. You have to really you know, know where you are, know what you need to do to succeed in that role. And then have a plan for what you want to do next and have the confidence and have the ability to seek information, to seek individuals who can help you along the way. And and not just focus on yourself, but I feel like it's incredibly important for young women starting their career to support each other. And to, you know, to be our biggest cheerleaders. And, and you know, we're going to stumble. Everyone stumbles. You have to, That's how you learn in early careers. You make mistakes. We have to know what kind of mistakes are okay to make and the ones that aren't okay to make. And and we have to really kind of support each other. And I feel like if we have more support along the journey, if we have ownership of our career and the confidence that, that comes with that, and we have organizations that help to facilitate the, pro, the, the uh, process, we will see that disparity kind of hopefully going away in the future.
1: I I love how you said that. I mean, basically the summary is that we need to address both the systemic and external barriers as well as internally building those skills and that confidence to thrive, so.
2: Absolutely. And so can you tell us like what specifically RISE is doing to address these obstacles? Cause it seems like there's a lot. (laughs) Yes, uh, so. Olivia, I feel like we
0: um we started off with just doing the, this that one retreat I told you about mm-hmm. and yeah, just yeah. like let's come together, let's give you information and 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 uh help you better understand what to, what you're getting into and how to make the transition. And then we realized that that first year is a it's a a, a journey uh, and it's very different. I, I I think about my wonderful wonderful mentees and fellows and that I try to prepare them for the shell shock of September comes along and you're not going back to school this is not a short you know it's not a break and it's not time to go back to school this is kind of full time this is a a, a very different experience than you may have had even if you did an internship and so with rise we start off with um building a community i think it's incredibly important for young women, for people from underrepresented groups to feel supported, to feel and have a community as they make this transition. And so we bring together in our cohorts, women from different organizations, different companies, different backgrounds, and we tell them, you know, we are very, very, (laughs) uh, we screen very closely, because we're not just looking for women who want to take the information we give them and to be successful we want that for sure but we want women who are adamant about supporting their peers and other women who are coming through the program and even beyond that who are going to be committed to serving and helping people that come behind them and so we have built a community where you have a safe place where you can come and share, man, I had a bad day today. I can't believe I forgot to put the third paper in this, the third page of the report. Ah, you have a community where you can come, you can share our our women as peer advisors, say, yep, next time, make sure you double check, let's dust you off and let's get back out there. We can recover from that and, and take ownership of it and move forward. And so, we, we have our communities where we celebrate successes and then we help people get back up when you stumble because you're gonna stumble. We also deliver content. And as I said, in that initial retreat, we have really spent several years forming our curriculum, testing our curriculum, making sure that we talk to companies, make sure we talk to people who have been in those seats to make what is it that they need in order to be able to get off to the best start possible because you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And so we deliver content in the retreat and then we gather monthly. And we, we you know, it, now you're in the role and now you're seeing things and we know what that journey looks like because we are constantly gathering data and we provide information along that journey in our monthly gatherings to, 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 to give that information. We also provide something that I think is incredibly important. And that is coaching. Organizations often often give coaching to very senior women and those women and men, they absolutely need it and should have it. But I'm advocating for giving coaching to people early in their career and, the, and coaching from unbiased sources where people can, can share openly. And so we give coaching throughout that year, we give content, and then we bring them back together for a second retreat. And in that second retreat, we like now that you have your sea legs, let's 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 now elevate, and let's see what it takes to go to the next level. So we really are very thoughtful about providing support, information in terms of content, a supportive community, and absolutely performance-based confidence.
1: Wow, comprehensive yeah. support—that's incredible. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, my oldest is a college senior, and I've had that conversation with them, like. Uh, Enjoyed this last semester.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: a lot different for you. But that community support is so important, especially I think coming out of the pandemic, where a lot of people yeah. are going into their careers either remotely or on a hybrid basis, which just is another challenge for building the community they need to thrive. So I, what you're doing is is so incredible, um, and it, it's just it's it's amazing. Um, so kudos to you.
0: Thank you, Sherry. Thank you. It's, 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 it's a labor of love. I know so many women who have been are incredibly successful and they said, you know, wow, if I had that information, when I started out, you know, where would I, how I could have gotten here faster and I could have helped more people. So we're really trying to give, get help our women, uh, the men that come to our, our, our program that, information they need to just get off to the best start possible because organizations kind of bucket people early you know these are our high pose these are the people who we are we really think are going to be our great performers and these people they're good but so we want to make sure that we don't have that good but we want to get people off to the best start possible and I think information is the key information and access to information is absolutely necessary
1: absolutely yeah. And speaking of information, um, you know you're so, you have so much career readiness expertise, and there's, there's kind of a topic that I wanted to dig down into with you, which, which is that most people know about the term unconscious bias and how that might hold women back. But what also holds women back is what's called a performance bias, which is basically the belief that men are slightly more capable or competent than they are, while the women are perceived as slightly less capable and competent than they are. Um, I'm just curious, kind of your observations on this. You know, again, arming women with the information, what to do about it, how we can overcome that.
0: Yeah. So I think, uh, and I will talk up to that that point, Sherry. But first, I want to say organizations need to understand that this is an issue, and through that, they need to make sure that they are training the people who hire them. They are training their managers on how to deliver honest effective and frequent performance reviews not just the review but giving feedback it has to take place the organizations have to understand this is a problem and address it on the other side again thinking about my it's, it's funny cuz you never my world as a marketing professor how it overlaps with my world my my world as a early career expert in in uh marketing particularly marketing services are intangibles How customers come up with the idea of satisfaction is they think about what their expectations were prior to an encounter, and then how well organizations meet those expectations. If they exceed expectations, they're satisfied. If they don't exceed expectations, they're not satisfied. The issue is it's about perceived performance. It's how well that the perceptions of how that organization delivered matches the expectations. And I think it's relevant here in that we have to think about how well perception matches reality. And if we know this bias is existing and people perceive women in different ways, I work to train my women to make sure that they're making sure that that, that the perceptions and reality are the same. How do we do that? We communicate. We communicate our wins. We communicate how well, you know, what we're doing in the workplace, how we're meeting customer needs, how we're meeting organizational objectives. Often young women think if I go to work and I put my head down and I do the best job possible, someone is going to notice me. And I think you absolutely need to go to work and do the best job possible, but you have to make sure people notice you. You have to communicate how well you are Meeting the objectives and the goals in front of you, and make sure that the organization knows that, so that those perceptions actually match what the reality is.
1: That's crucial. Yeah, crucial advice. I call it the humble brag, right, Liv? <laughs> yeah.
2: And I, I mean, that's so important because I think that studies have shown that men are typically better at that. You know, they're better at doing that humble brag. You know, it might not be so humble in their case, but that is what gets them ahead and it might be a societal learning. So we have to do that unlearning so we can be better at that too. I think that's so important.
0: Absolutely. And again, and, and I, you know, I, I have, I'm a mom of two girls and two boys. So I want my boys to be Mm -hmm. confident and I Mm -hmm. I want my girls to be confident as well. And so I just think it's about, I, I love that term, the humble brag, but I also like the idea of, you know, Olivia's my coworker, and maybe Olivia might not be as comfortable bragging on Olivia, but I can brag on Olivia. For sure. And I know, Olivia, you would brag on mm-hmm. me if there was something, you know, I feel like there's things we can do to elevate each other as well, as we're learning to use our voices and to become more comfortable and confident with sharing our wins and our successes. But we—it's just it's something that we have to do so that those perceptions and reality match.
2: Yeah. And that community is so important. Um, Another aspect of that community is um, mentorship. Um, Mentorship is so important. And there is like a mentorship gap prior to and when in the workforce. Um, 62% of women of color say that they believe a lack of mentorship holds them back in their career. I mean, that's staggering. Could you just talk about the importance of mentorship, sponsorship, and other support systems? So it, it is an absolute necessity.
0: Yeah. Bottom line, no if ands or buts. Women need mentors. Women need sponsors. Women need supportive communities. Everyone needs that. But when you t- describe that the statistic about people who aren't getting it, mm-hmm. we have to do something because you're walking into organizations, and even if you did an internship. There are so many hidden potholes, unwritten rules, things that you just do not know. Yeah, I, I really think about it as if you're driving down the road of your early career journey, and there might be a detour, a pothole, or something, and there's no warning sign there that tells you, oh, look out, there is a pothole. A mentor will help you realize, hey, you know what? You could do that, but you might run into some issues with you if, if you go that route. Why don't you do this and let's go around that pothole that you aren't even there, that you don't even know is there. So it's critical that there are people in organizations that share this ne- necessary information and reveal these potholes because who's going to drive through a pothole if you know it's there? It's it's important that, that mentors help. Share the information and are provide a a, a space where people can share and, and request information. Sponsors are critical. And yes, it's very helpful to get suggestions and information, but sponsors are those individuals that are in the room that are speaking for you when you aren't there, when you don't know you need someone to be advocating for you. But I think it's really critical that people know. Mentorship is often given. Sponsorship is earned. And I think it's critical that that young people starting their careers know that you must earn sponsorship. And how do you do that? You do that through your work. You do that through building relationships. You do that through communicating. And you do that in a way where people are comfortable using their personal brand to advocate for you. And so I think it's important that people understand the distinction between mentors and sponsors and appreciate both and that they have them all in their toolkit.
2: Hmm.
1: Agree so much. I love the pothole analogy. Yeah. Um, Agree with everything you said on the importance of mentorship and sponsorship. And that really also underscores why young women and women should seek out organizations like live girl and rise and really make sure that they've got that community of support and place to thrive absolutely Um, you've got so much expertise we could really talk to you all day but um we will send people in the show notes to the rise website because i know you've got some great resources there as well but um we're gonna finish up today's podcast with just a quick speed round of questions for our listeners to get to know you a little better um, and so the first question is, what's one gender stereotype that you'd like to smash?
0: Hmm. I, I, you know, I, I, it's going to sound weird when I say this, but the, you throw like a girl. <laughs> That's a good one. Right? Yeah. Right? Like. You know, I think as we think about in 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 world in general and we think about work, there is nothing that is like a girl. I just do it and I do it well. I do it, I'm capable and I can do it. I don't need a like a after my name.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, the next question is, who is inspiring you right now? Ah. So th- there is a woman, her name
0: is Valeria Alu, and she wrote the book. It came out in uh, 2022 called Uncolonized Latina, and she has started uh, the Rising Together movement. And Valeria is a force of nature, and I highly recommend it, whether you're Latina or not, that you read her book. There are so many nuggets in there about women and career and managing perceptions and managing um, how you advance through your career and what, and, and understanding what you are capable of and understanding what you bring to the table. And she took all of these wonderful elements in her book and and is now creating the, the like I said, the, um, the Rising Together movement. We're bringing women together, bringing, helping women support each other, know what they're capable of, and then advancing and and reaching their full potential. I I think everybody should know her.
1: Hmm. Thank you for that recommendation. Yeah, we'll check it out. So we'll definitely check it out. And the last question is, what are you obsessed with right now?
0: I am obsessed right now with helping or trying to figure out how to help companies do the right thing. How to help companies know what they need to be doing to help early career. I feel like uh, we have spent... I have the most incredible team at RISE. I have a a team of coaches. I have a a wonderful chief operating officer, head of coaching, just an amazing team. And we have spent the last seven years really studying what it takes to help women and people from underrepresented groups get off to the best start possible. What we have realized is that is not enough. We can absolutely work on the inputs and we can help and we can give this information but if organizations don't understand what they need to do if organizations don't understand the barriers that they put up and the roadblocks that they put in place and the potholes that are there then no matter how hard we work on helping the women they are going to they will not be able to reach the their capacity or their ability as quickly as possible i think it's you know, we have this philosophy of you can, or, you know, I love the the African proverb of, I think if you go together, you go farther, or if you go alone, you go fast, right? Right. We want people to go fast and far. And I am obsessed on really helping to develop the same type of framework. And uh, I do um, workshops in companies to help them do a better job of supporting early career women and supporting people from underrepresented groups, particularly people who don't see a lot of a lot of people who may look like them in organizations.
1: Well that's an important thing to be obsessed with. I mean some people might say Netflix or yeah. Yeah. you're like you're incredible gal. You're you're a phenomenal woman. Um, it's such an honor and inspiration to talk with you. And um I just want to close this out by saying go green.
0: Yeah go white.
1: <laughs> thank you so much, Gail. And we're thank much you, fun. Gail. It goes wide and far and, because everyone needs to hear your incredible advice today. So thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. Thank you,
1: Sherry. Thank you, Olivia, for having me. It was a pleasure spending
0: this time with you today.